You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights, which help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up to date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. I'm your host, Mithul Shah. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stacks with technographic intent and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mithul Shah. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Kevin Sellers about the formula for creating compelling brand stories. Kevin is an accomplished business leader with a strong track record of scaling global brands. He brings more than 20 years of global marketing leadership experience in the technology, including 10 years living and operating overseas. His strategic knowledge of marketing function spans brand leadership, demand generation, digital marketing, and corporate communication. Prior to joining Ping Identity as CMO, Kevin served also as CMO at Avnet, where he oversaw companies' business-to-business strategies. Kevin, I'm super excited to talk to you about your career and get insights from it. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So, Kevin, let's start. Uh, let's start from the beginning. You have had such a fascinating career spanning a couple of decades. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, I suppose a, a couple of decade journey in a really short answer is a little tough to do. But you know, I guess I'll <laughs> a few, few key points. Right where I actually started my career um, at Intel Corporation, but I was in finance. I actually got an MBA, graduated, started in the finance organization, and I quickly learned I was a bit of a square peg in a round hole. And I thought, you know, I, I'm much more of a creative thinker. I'm much more of a, uh, you know, I think more broadly about these problems. And the, the role of a finance person is very analytical. It's very targeted on, you know, very sort of narrow challenges most of the time, especially at that level. So um, I just had an opportunity to uh, start working with uh, some of the business units. And I started to display some acumen around messaging, communication, positioning, things like that. So it ultimately led to an opportunity to uh, move over into the marketing function. And I ended up spending about seven, almost eight years living in uh, Tokyo, Japan, where I was, uh, one of my first big breaks was while I was there, became, I ran their product marketing organization and um, got involved very much in pricing and promotion and so forth. And then took on the role of uh, adding that to, uh, adding to that brand and advertising and, um, you know, retail and all the things that we did uh, across the marketing spectrum. And then from there, went on become the, I ran the brand strategy overall for the company. Um, and, uh, and then from there, I ended up running their global advertising and digital marketing. And that was my sort of my quick summation, summation of my career at Intel. And then, and then left Intel and became the CMO at Avnet for a few years and then have now moved over to a software company, uh, Ping Identity, and where I'm uh, the CMO there. So that's a bit of a Cliff Notes version, but it started off interesting. You know, you don't always know what you want to do when you grow up until you start to get applied in the real business challenges and real world issues, and you start to see where your natural skill sets come and where your passions start to come out. But marketing has always been something I've loved, and the art and the science and the ability to communicate and position and really think about how customers approach you, your brand and your products. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a really interesting challenge that, you know, will keep me motivated for years to come. That's so fascinating. I, I love the, the aspect of, you know, living in Japan. And I think you also studied or you minored in 
Korean language, is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I actually lived in Korea before that for a couple of years and, and got to be you know reasonably proficient in Korean. Korean is a really hard language, by the way, especially in the <laughs> tongue, but we got to be pretty good. Came back, and when I graduated, I also uh, minored in Korean. And it was really great because I'd lived there. I'd learned the culture. I'd learned the language and learned so much about it. But the minor, it, it gave me a broader perspective, more about the history, more about the literature, more about you know a lot of the origins of the culture and what, what how Koreans... Um, you know, came to be the way they are. And that was really helpful. And, and blending that with the real life experience was something that really changed my life and really helped me appreciate the the beauty and wonder of of the Asian culture overall. And blend that with the time in Japan and, and other places I've been over there. It's just been, it's been awesome to uh, to have Asia be such a part of my of my life. That is so fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you right now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, Coming back to what we have started talking about, like being a seasoned marketer, you know, I'm sure you have seen many changes over the years and things have kind of evolved and, you know, from going from no tools and technologies to thousands of tools and technologies right now in MarTech. So what, what changes have you seen over the years? Yeah, that is such a good question and such an important one. And I know anyone listening that, you know, especially if, if you're young and new and just getting started, it, 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 you're not going to sense some of the magnitude of the change. And, and that's okay because you're sort of walking into the reality of how marketing is uh, as, we, as we speak. But, you know, back when I started, it was, you know, a lot of it, especially at a company like Intel, you know, there was a lot of money that was spent on, you know, sort of big budget advertising. We were on television and, and it, was, it was essentially a television and print media game and, and then PR. It was kind of... In a nutshell, that's kind of the marketing, uh, a simple marketing organization or simplistically explain, uh, uh, just sort of laid out. But what's happened is obviously the rise of digital and the rise of the Internet and how um, people's uh, time and how they consume content and, and how they spend their time and where they are and where they're looking for information. That's all changed, right? It's moved away a lot from the television, a lot from print, all to an online world. And, and so... I think marketing has changed more in the last five, 10 years than it has in the previous 50. And it's all because of digital and it's allowed us to um, get so much more refined in, in, in how we reach an audience, how we measure the effectiveness of marketing. I mean, you can go back years ago and you know, some of the famous marketing phrases was, and I, I can't remember the gentleman said it, but it was, you know, I know half my marketing budget is wasted. I just don't know which half. <laughs> it's, it's very true right because it's back then a lot of it was kind of a you know you would have to put your money behind a campaign you'd buy your media you'd put the campaign out there and then when it was all said and done you'd have to hope that it would make a difference in your business and today that's you know if you if you operated as a marketer like that today you wouldn't have a job right because you have the tools and the ability to get much faster more detailed feedback as to how people are perceiving your content, your message, your brand, your products, and you can adjust more quickly, especially if you're if you're living and marketing in an online world like that. So I think the biggest changes really are the rise of analytics, the ability to target and segment in ways we never could before, and the ability to optimize and change and improve minute by minute as you go. Um, I think those are things that have driven a much more data 
centric marketing approach and a focus on agility as a marketer, the ability to move and optimize and be responsive to what the market is, is, is really requiring. Couldn't agree more with you, you know, about the analytic segmentation and just measuring what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in at Demand Matrix, right? So, I mean, we see this day in, day out, and the marketers that are most successful are the ones that is data-driven. And anybody who's not measuring what they're doing, I think either they will have to come to the reality or they're not going to be successful. Yeah, and then ironically, what it's also done is it's caused the C-suite and the board to be much more interested in the marketing strategy and marketing spending. Because now that they've, they, you give a CEO a whiff of a market report of what's happening with the advertising or the, or the marketing strategy that's been deployed, and they want more. And they want more detail. They want more updates. They want, they want to get more involved. And so it's, um, and that's all good. I think that transparency is very, very good. But it, it has led to the requirement for marketers to adapt. You also have to be very good at communication internally. You've got to manage a lot more stakeholders. I mean, I have to manage the board. I have to manage the entire C-suite. I spent a lot more time with the CFO than probably I ever did 10, 15 years ago. I never talked to the CFO 15 years ago. Now we're talking all the time. So it's also driven a very different sense of how you, where you sit in the organization and what's required of you. And part of that is a successful marketer is one who can communicate and build strong consensus across different disciplines because people care, uh, but also those that are pulling the strings on the budget and, and you know, really trying to make allocation decisions now can get access to the, the ROI and the data and, and success of the campaign or a piece of content or whatever it is. And that's, that just means you've got to be able to, to talk to that and have a really cogent strategy around what you're doing. And that's, that's different. That's a new thing as well. Mm. So do, do you think now we might even going be, be going overboard on the other side, you know, with this whole data, data set and marketing technologies and you see, you know, companies where the MarTech stack now includes 50, 60, 100, 150 technologies and so forth. Um, so we, you know, of course, there's a need to measure these things, but with this whole concept of data driven are we now going on the other side going more overboard on it you know you kind of almost stole what what, what i was what i wanted to say which is which is totally fine but i think <laughs> the thing i would say is you know if you go to a marketing conference in you know obviously with coronavirus hitting right now we're not doing anything that's in, in person but there's a lot of virtual things happening but if you just think of the typical marketing conference that you might go to it's almost exclusively devoted to data and tools mm. and MarTech and analysis. And, you know, now it's all about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities and predictive analytics. And by the way, I'm a geek to all of that stuff and I totally love it. But I will say this, I fundamentally believe that as a discipline and as, as a, you know, marketing in, in general, that we have swung the pendulum too far. And, and the reason I say that is, with all of the analytics, what I've noticed is with all the tools available to me, and I've got a couple of data scientists that are brilliant. We've got great MarTech, uh, great MarTech stack. I've got great insight into what's happening in my marketing. But I also know my competition has 
a very similar type of capability. And I don't know that I'm ever going to win with the data. Now, I can lose if I don't have good data. Absolutely. But I don't know that it's going to separate me from the pack. It's going to make me better. It's going to make me more efficient. It's going to make me more effective. It's going to make me more agile. There's a lot of good things about it, and I'm all for it. But at the end of the day, what marketers have to do is create you, – you have to create unique real estate in the mind of that buyer. And to do that requires immense creativity, great storytelling, differentiation, and an authenticity that comes – that still is more balanced on the art side of the equation than the data side of the equation. And I think we often think about modern marketing and you'll see a lot of uh, job requ uh, requisitions out there that are posted and there's a job description on those. And it's so much about modern marketing and digital and analytics and AI and all the tools. And while that is, again, I'm, I have devoted tons of resources to that. What's gonna make or break me as a chief marketing officer is, am I differentiating my brand? Am I giving my products a unique space in the mind of of the buyer and have i created that sort of real unique authentic emotional based connection to the buyer and that requires exquisite storytelling and some great creativity and i think we've forgotten that that's really the heart of what marketing is and the data needs to serve that not the other way around and i think that's what we might have gone too far on and i i'm pretty passionate about that in terms of like you, you still look at the great brands out there that are making a difference and whose businesses are flourishing. And so many of them are just amazing storytellers and they just position and create that strong connection that you just can't deny. So I think, I think you kind of, kind of alluded to some of that, but like if I'm thinking about creating a better brand, you know, or, or bread brand stories, what's, what's the formula for that? You know, it's a great question, and, and I'll share kind of, let me share how I've done it in my career and what's worked for me as a template. By no means am I going to be, you know, is somebody going to, you know, listen to this podcast and go, no, you know, I'm an expert storyteller because there's still a lot of muscles that have to be generated, but, and there's a lot of scar tissue that a lot of us wear because no, no great storyteller, no great brand has ever gotten every campaign right. And it's, you know, I've got, I've put some stinkers out there too, but we've also put some, some really good ones out there. But you learn over the years, and I've been able to refine my own sort of personal model of what I think is a, a, a template for really great brand building and great storytelling. And I call it, it's kind of the three plus, I guess my own words, but it's a three plus one model, meaning I think the first three are mandatory. The fourth one is a, it's a nice to have if you can make it work, uh, but you don't have to. But I'll, I'll just walk you through those three really quick. The first one I think is... Um, it's, it's the uh, simplicity. It's being simple. And most marketing, most advertising, and by the way, I have done the same thing. So I don't mean to, to stand here and point fingers. It's, it's very hard to stay, to keep things very simple. It's always easier to, as marketers, we tend to fall into the trap of, I've got to describe my product, every feature, every function, every everything. And it ends up creating kind of a clunky message and one that doesn't really stick or resonate. So the art of simplicity is it's, it's very difficult to do, but it is a requirement. You have to make, what is that one thing you want people to know about you? What is that one thing? And what's that unique thing that you want them to know about you? So really focusing on the simplicity of your message is really job number one. Job number two, or, or, or uh, 
part of this model. Number two is the notion of being unique and differentiated. So obviously you want to have some a simple message, but you've also got to you've got to you've got to build into that the secret sauce of your brand. What is it that makes you and your company unique and different? What is that secret sauce? And you've got to build into um, your communications model that differentiation. That's the second one. And then the third one then is what is that emotional connection that you're going to build? Great storytelling and great brand building always anchors onto an emotion. It can be an emotion of you know quality or you know sex appeal or cool factor, or it could be you know it's a whole host of of things that you would want to look at. But what is it that's authentic to your brand, that's unique to you, but that is simple, that's unique and differentiated, and that is emotional, has an emotional connection or an, an emotional foundation to it. So those are the three things that we look for. And every great brand campaign has all three of those elements. And then the fourth one is what I call sort of the, if you can do it, uh, you, you should, you should try. And that's really, can you create a call to action right in your brand? What do I mean by that? Um, if you think about what salespeople go through, you know, the most important question any salesperson can ask is, can I have the order? You, know, you ask for the order. You ask that buyer for the order. That's the most important question any salesperson ever asked, right? So as marketers, if you think of some of the great brands in the past, you know, Apple used to be around Think Different and Coke was um, open happiness. I think now it's taste the feeling. Um, you know, Nike is just do it. These are all action-oriented brand positions that have invitations built right into them. So every time those brands communicate with you, they're actually asking for the order. They're actually asking you to take an action. And it's a very powerful concept because you're, every time you communicate, you're actually extending an invitation. So it's much like that most important question a salesperson can ask. How is it that we as marketers can also infuse our branding and our messaging and marketing with an invitation and a call to action. So um, not all great brands have that, you know, maybe BMW is a great one. So it's the ultimate driving machine. It's not necessarily an invitation to take action, but it's still a great brand. That's why I call it kind of the three plus one, but some of the really great brands have infused their messaging and positioning with a, with a, a call to action. I think that's a really powerful thing. So those, that's kind of a simplistic overview and it takes a lot of work and effort to get there, but those, traits have lived long and true over the years and are infused in all the great brands that you see out there. That is fantastic. I've, I honestly have never thought about brand building in such a simplistic way of, you know, having simplicity, having your differentiator, have an emotional connection and uh, call to action and, but reflecting more on it, you know, it, it makes total sense why these brands are so strong and, it has become almost like a second nature, right? I mean, when I think about somebody said, just do it, it just naturally comes there. Oh, that's Nike, right? Yeah, yes. And you know, it's, it's interesting too around something like just do it is look at the breadth and strength of that, of that invitation. That invitation, you could, be, you could be talking to the couch potato that hasn't exercised in 20 years, <laughs> right? And just do it to them might be, okay, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go for a walk. And that's, yes. that's what just do it means to that person. It can also be talking to the Olympic athlete and that Olympic athletes like, well, just do it. I just going to do a little bit more. Right. 
And so it's so powerful in that it, it's a personal invitation to whoever you are at whatever stage of life or journey you're on. And that's what makes it, I think, so broadly appealing and has been so successful for you know 30 years now. That is, that is so fantastic. Well, Kevin, uh, time flies when you're having fun. Thank you so much you know, for being on our show and being on our podcast. I'm sure our listeners would really enjoy all the insights and the tips and this framework that you gave for them to implement, take it into the heart and, and hopefully implement that. So thank you again for being on the show. Looking forward to having you and talking more about it in future. You got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and share these insights with your peers.